That was a good reaction in the room. Yay, that's a good, uh, that's a good response. That's what we all meant to say. Uh, hey, if you would, take your Bible and turn to Galatians chapter 6. We are just a few weeks uh, from reaching the end of our study of the book of Galatians, but we're going to spin it forward through the, through the holidays and, and even up into early 2021 talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And so even this morning as we... As we've seen that particular song and you think about bringing your burden and shame before the Lord and what that looks like, I hope you'll be able to see those connections here in Scripture in Galatians chapter 6. One quick note up front before we get started. Tonight at 5 o'clock, I'm calling our church together for a time of prayer. And so if you are comfortable coming back at 5 o'clock and you're able to do so, over in the gym, so this white building in, in the back, we're just going to come together for a time of prayer. No, no music, no Bible teaching. You will want to have your Bible with you. We're going to pray through Scripture, or you have access to the Bible in your phone. We'll use Scripture in that way, uh, but we're just going to come together and pray. And so I hope you'll be able to be a part of that time at 5 o'clock tonight. I understand there might be a dozen reasons you couldn't be a part of that. And so if you're not able to come back at 5 o'clock, let me ask you to do this. If you, in your home, right where you are, sometime this evening, would just gather together for a time of prayer. Even if you feel like scheduling, social distancing, it's just not going to work to come back tonight, I completely understand that. But I am calling our church to pray tonight. And so right in your home, would you find a time this evening to pray, to pray for our church, to pray for our community, for our nation, for our world, for all the things going on around us? What do we do in a time like this? We pray. God's people gather to pray. And so we're going to do that here on campus, back in the gym at 5 o'clock tonight, or you're going to do that in your home. Whatever that might look like, wherever you are, I would call you to pray, to pray for all those things that we mentioned together. And so we're going to do that uh, tonight. This morning, we're going to be looking at the very last two verses in Galatians 5, and then it'll bleed into the beginning of Galatians 6. So the verses will be up here on the screen, and then uh, if you have a copy of God's Word, let's read those starting in 525. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let's pray together again, Emmaus, as we think about gathering around God's word. God, thank you for that last song that we were able to sing together and that word burden that, that sticks out so much from that song. God, as we think about the burdens that we carry in day-to-day -day life, we think about the burdens that people around us have because of what's going on in the world, because of sickness, because of job, because of family. God, there are so many different burdens that people carry. And God, most of us, we do a pretty good job of trying to hide those burdens. 
We keep them behind closed doors. We try to cover them up so other people don't see our burdens and shame. But God, you don't call us to live that way. God, you call us to live with open hearts and open hands because you are so good and so gentle and so powerful in how you respond to us. And you give us other people to help us to carry those burdens. And so God, this morning, remind us what that looks like. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we get started this morning. Imagine this situation. Imagine a group is moving toward incredible success. Your business, your favorite sports team, your favorite band, whatever the case is, they're moving toward incredible success. Everything looks great on the outside. Then before you knew it, the band or the team or the business or the marriage breaks up. And you find out later that behind the scenes, there were constant battles about pride, constant arguments, constant questions of who gets the credit, who's in charge here. So this last week, amidst all the other things happening, uh, you probably heard that Eddie Van Halen passed away. So after their 1984 success, David Lee Roth left Van Halen for over 20 years, right at the top of their success, this group breaks apart. This came after 1970's Bridge Over Troubled Water, when Simon and Garfunkel broke up. After the 1979 release of The Wall, Pink Floyd broke up because of Roger Waters' behind-the-scenes egomania that completely tore the group apart. 1984, the police... Steen breaks away, and you find out that behind the scenes, they were actually recording albums in separate rooms because they refused to come together to do the music because of how bad things were in the group. More recently, 2011, Jonas Brothers, Nick walks away, millions of women mourn around the world, but thankfully they came back together recently, and so young and old women alike celebrated they came back together. March 25th, 2015, the internet almost broke when Zayn Malik left One Direction. I know for many of you in the room, that was not a heartbreaking moment. For many people, though, around the world, that was a heartbreaking moment for One Direction. Let's not forget Lionel Richie leaving the Commodores, Ginger Spice leaving the Spice Girls. That's beside the point, though. Here's the point this morning. What causes a group of people that seem to be moving towards success to begin to falter? What, what causes a marriage to break up, a band to break up, a sports team to break up, a business to break up? What causes those problems in a church gathering? Galatians 5, verse 25. Paul says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Now, Paul has just talked to the people about the work of God's Spirit in their life, this love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, these things that should characterize our lives. Here's the caution. When you think about God's work in your life, when you think about the fruit of the Spirit, if we are not careful, we think of those as primarily individual realities. Except in the church of God, in the power of the Holy Spirit, why do we have those fruits? Because they impact our relationships with one another. 
To walk in the Holy Spirit, to be a Spirit-filled people, is not to be a bunch of individuals, but to be a people brought together by the Spirit of God to live in a new way. So Paul says, if you're going to live by the Spirit, let us, all of us together, keep in step together with the Spirit. Now what's the opposite of that? Verse 26, he says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This idea of conceited is the word for empty boasting. (laughs) So this is the person who brags about something that they have nothing to brag about. This is the person that when they boast, you're like, uh, bro, you better keep quiet. You actually don't have anything to brag about. This is empty boasting. This type of word is used in Philippians chapter two, verse three. Do nothing from selfish ambition. You may have memorized it as vain conceit, empty conceit, empty pride, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. We find out in Philippians 2 that that verse describes the ministry of Jesus, the person of Jesus. The opposite of that is verse 26. Let us not become conceited, people who boast about something that they really have nothing to boast about it. What does it look like when you're conceited? Provoking one another. Now here's a fun word. This is a word that means constantly challenging people to competition. (laughs) So instead of seeing your spirituality as a way that you can build up and encourage one another, the people here were turning religion or spirituality into a competition. (laughs) I'm more joyful than you. I'm more peaceful than you. I'm more loving than you. I'm more religious than you. Do you see how weird that sounds, even to say it out loud, that we would turn religion or spirituality into a competition? But they were constantly challenging one another for greater honor. You may have had sibling relationships where everything was a competition. And your parents were like, just at some point can you do something, the laundry, the dishes, walk out the door and it not be a competition about who does it best. Uh, This type of, there's healthy competition. There's healthy competition that makes you better. And then there's unhealthy competition where you're just constantly battling against people. That's the reality that's going here that Paul is so worried about that you're just constantly battling against people. Provoking one another. The other word here is envying one another not hoping for the other person's best, but always getting frustrated when they get a little bit ahead. This is a good heart check any time in life. Something good happens to somebody else in your company is your immediate reaction to be happy for them or to be bitter about that. Something good happens to your spouse. Happy about that bitter about. We're we're always watching how is our heart toward one another? Are we celebrating God's work in another person's life or do we find ourselves envious of that? Challenging, conceited, trying to build ourselves up. Now we realize really easily that's no way to live and that's especially no way for a church to operate. So what is Paul's answer to this? Look in chapter 6. Chapter 6 verse 1, what is his response? He says brothers, and this is that very general word, brothers and sisters, all people as part of the church, brothers. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Man, this is just a beautiful verse. Like one of those really powerful, hit you in the face type verses in the Bible. If you see anyone who is caught in a trap, 
Their life is caught in sin. And the way that the language is put together here, it has the feeling that they almost accidentally got caught in this trap. This is not a person with a hard heart. This is not a person who has willfully walked into the situation. This seems like a situation that they were trapped. They were caught in some type of sin. You walk up to someone and you see them caught in a trap. What do you do in that situation? Well, you don't want to make it harder for them to get out of the trap. And you don't want to respond harshly. How could you do that? How could you get yourself caught in this trap? You don't want to respond harshly in that situation. You also don't want to stand over them the way that a football player stands over somebody that's been tackled and, you know, brag, look at me, I'm not caught in the trap. You're the one that got caught in the trap. Like, how do you respond to someone who is caught in a transgression, who's caught in a sin? What does Paul say? He says, you restore him in a spirit of gentleness. You help to bring that person out of that trap the word restore is a word that could be used in the ancient world for mending nets. So something is torn and you help put it back together. You encounter somebody in your life and it feels like their life is torn to shreds and you help to mend it. A work that admittedly only God can do but God can use you in that process. God uses you to mend their life to put the pieces back together. How do you do it? Not with the spirit of pride, do you? You do it with a spirit of gentleness. Why? Because who among us has not seen their life torn to shreds? Every one of us that's true of, right? Because of sin, because of the things that we've done, our rebellion against God, and God has restored us, and he has used other people in our lives to restore us. And so in that moment, our response is not to compare ourselves to the other person. It's not to be prideful. Think about the Good Samaritan story in Scripture. Here's somebody caught in, in, in the ditch, They've been beat up, life's been hard to them, they're thrown off to the side. What do the first two people in that Good Samaritan story do, the two religious people when they get to him? They walk by on the other side of the road, just leaving the person in the ditch. And then the Samaritan comes along and says, no, I'll reach out and I'll provide that care. That's the type of restoration that we're talking about here. And Paul says, among the church, when you see someone trapped in sin, that's how you respond. You reach out and you restore that person. You help their life be mended in a spirit of gentleness. Now, if that's the case, the question we have to ask is, why do we not always do that? So if we're supposed to operate like that in the church, you see someone caught in sin, you see their life being torn apart, why do we not respond in that way? One reason is we just feel too busy. Now that's kind of an embarrassing reason, and, and I even hesitate to put it on the screen because admittedly it's kind of an embarrassing reason and we would like to say, oh, that's not really it, but we have to be honest. Some of the reason, and I look at myself here to begin with, but some of the reason we don't always reach out to people who are hurting and their life is torn apart and they're caught in sin, the reason we sometimes don't do that is we just feel like, I just don't have time. What do you do with that reasoning? I, I'm too busy to help someone sin someone in sin, not help someone sin, but help someone who's caught in sin. I'm too busy for that. You know, we'd probably have to say, then we're probably just too busy. Or maybe another way we could frame that is maybe our priorities are a little bit out of line. What am I doing that maybe is not as important as reaching out to this person who I see is hurting? Now there's limited number of people, admittedly, that you can reach out to at a time and be able to really care for. But if we see someone is hurting, 
Are we just walking past because we're too busy? Another reason we do this is because of a misunderstanding of the church and the gospel. And I want to be careful in how I present this because it could come across completely wrong. I don't mean it that way. But if we're not careful, we think about the saving gospel of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us, and we think about being a part of a church, and if we're not careful, gospel becomes what Jesus did for me, and church becomes something I show up to or something I watch or something I attend. And none of us mean to do that. We, we, never, we would never even verbalize it that way, but if we're not careful, it can become to feel like that, come to feel like that, as opposed to the gospel not only restores me to God, but also restores me to the people around, around me, changes those relationships, and the church is not something I attend or watch or just show up to. The church is the people of God that I'm a part of. I'm connected to the people around me, and so, don't miss this, if somebody else is the, in the church is hurting, I hurt with them. If someone else in the church is caught in sin, I don't just look the other way. That's not loving, is it? I reach out because I know where that sin can lead. I know what that hurt can cause. So we're brought together in this way. A couple of weeks ago at Emmaus, we did our annual checkup survey where people respond, and admittedly, this data is only as good as the people who were here to fill out the survey and as truthful as the people were when they filled out the survey, okay? So this is, this data, it's not scientific data. But this is the data from the surveys we did a few weeks ago. 43% said that last year they spoke to someone else about a sin or struggle they saw in the other person's life. So just under half of our church, and this is just members, these are not guests, I took those answers out, but these are just church members, said, I spoke to someone else about a sin or a struggle I saw in their life. 60% of church members said they received a spiritual encouragement via text or phone call within the last year. Man, I would love for that percentage to run up around 100. In fact, there's just really no reason it shouldn't be between 90% and 100%. Admittedly, it's not scientific data. People could have just skipped the question because they didn't like my survey. I understand all of that. But 60% of people last year said they received a text or a phone call for spiritual encouragement. 70% of people said they had someone that they could turn to if needed because of a struggle in life or something that they were facing. Again, not a bad number, but a number that we would love to do everything we can to get it up around 100%. You know, the other reason sometimes that we just don't reach out is because we are uncertain about our own personal spirituality. We don't reach out to someone who's hurting because we're like, man, you don't know the problems I have in my own life. And if I could just say to that, that's actually a really good response. (laughs) That's much better than a response where someone says, oh yeah, I've got it all together. I'm gonna help everybody in the church. Watch out for that person. Man, they'll just, (laughs) there's, there's usually something else going on there. A response that says, no, I really have my own challenges. But remember, perfection is not required to be used by God in another person's life. Humility and availability are required to be used by God to reach out to someone and as God's doing that work in your life he's allowing you to reach out to people around you now here's the caution look at the end of verse one back in your Bible so we are called to watch out for people who are caught in traps to help to restore them look at the end of that verse keep watch it says on yourself lest you too lest you also be tempted what's Paul saying here When you see someone caught in sin, 
and you feel led by God to reach out to that person and care for them and try to mend that situation, watch out that you aren't tempted. And, and scholars are in much more agreement on this than you would normally find in commentaries, but there are two forms of temptation that are being alluded to here. The first form that you could be tempted to is personal pride. So here's how that works, okay? Here's how that works. It's as you respond to someone caught in sin, the feeling in your heart is, man, how great am I that I'm able to respond to the situation and bring healing and hope. You gotta watch out for pride in that situation. If you respond with pride, watch out that you're not gonna be tempted. Here's the other type of temptation. You see someone who is caught in sin and you reach out and in the process of trying to help them recover, you find yourself caught in that same trap. You find yourself caught in that same sin. And, and the kind of the phrasing to watch out for in your mind is any type of phrasing that says, I'm above that. So let me throw out an example, purely as an example, but just to let you make, try to make clear what I'm talking about. You have a friend whose marriage is falling apart because of an extramarital affair, another relationship, and, and you really feel like God is calling you to speak into that situation. And you go into that situation saying, I could help because I know that I would never find myself in an extramarital affair. Generally speaking, the moment we say, I would never, you understand what you put yourself in in that moment, right? That I'm above this, that that would never happen to me, that I would never fall into that trap. You're just asking for that trouble. You're just asking for that temptation to come flooding into your life. Paul says that when you respond to someone caught in a trap, someone caught in a sin, keep close watch over your own heart so that you're not tempted toward pride or you're not tempted toward that trap or that sin that that particular person finds himself in. Now, verses two and three are going to say essentially the same thing, but it's gonna be from a different angle. So essentially the same message in verses two and three, but kind of a different angle. Verse two, Paul says here, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ that was ultimately the fulfillment of the Old Testament law that was fulfilled in loving God and loving others. When you bear one another's burdens, you fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, thinks he's really great, when in fact he really is nothing without God's help and God's power, he deceives himself. So in verse two, what I'd wanna point out to you there is it says to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The difference between verse one and verse two is verse one talked about how do you respond to someone who is caught in sin. Verse two is how do you care for someone in the church who is weighed down with the burdens of life? This is the person that when you look at them, they look emotionally exhausted. Maybe they try to hide it, Maybe they try to look like everything's okay and they're trying to keep it all behind closed doors. But this is the person that the burdens of life are just weighing on them. And it's a weight that no one was ever meant to carry by themselves. And in fact, no one can carry those types of weights by themselves. Where does that weight come from? A lot of times it comes from the past. You guys know as well as I do, we carry our past shame and hurt and trauma in ways that we don't always recognize but other people often do. 
We carry these burdens. We carry these hurts. Sometimes the burden is just because life is really, really hard at that moment. Money, family, kids, job, you name it. Just the burdens of life are weighing down. What does Paul say in that situation? He says to bear one another's burdens. Isn't this one of the great gifts of the Christian life, the great gifts of the church, that we are not meant to carry our burdens alone, that God surrounds us with people who can come along and bear that burden, carry that burden. Look at verse four. Now watch, watch the change here that's gonna happen in verse four. We're gonna look at these verses and then we're gonna come back and kind of circle back for some application. Look at verse four. Paul says, but let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. So Paul says, when you're looking at your own life, be careful that your assessment of your spiritual life is not how you compare with your neighbor. So I don't, I don't judge my standing before the Lord or my spiritual growth by how I compare with somebody else. That's a dangerous comparison. It's not good to compare your health just based on how you compare to other people, your finances, anything. God says if you're gonna compare your spiritual growth, your spiritual health, look to Christ. Our only boasting is in the cross. Our only boasting is in in him. And when we test ourselves, we don't test ourselves primarily by comparing ourselves with one another, especially don't test your spiritual health based on how you compare to someone who's being crushed under the burdens of life or is caught in sin. (laughs) So Paul is talking to a group of people that feel very religious because the people around them are hurting. Well, that's not a good judge uh, of, of your spiritual condition. Paul says, don't test yourself in that way. Instead, look at verse five. Paul says, each will have to bear his own load. Now, this is one of those moments that if someone is very cynical about the Bible or, or just feeling very uh, argumentative that day, they can say, see, I told you the Bible's full of contradictions. There's just contradictions everywhere you look. Back in verse two, it said to bear one another's burdens, and here in verse five, it says each will bear his own load or his own burden. You know, so which is it? Well, it's both. It's the beauty of life in every area. Politics, parenting, your job, marriage, you, you name it. We bear one another's burdens. We, we care for one another, but at the same time, we have to carry our own load. There's a personal responsibility that comes with life. Both of those are true, and for the church to be healthy, both of those have to be true. So I want to do everything I can to bear the burdens of the people around me, to care for people around me. How am I best able to do that when I'm also carrying my own load, <laughs> when I'm also remaining spiritually healthy? And this idea in verse 5 uh, if, if you just want to jot down a note or, or make a middle note about verse five, there is a present reality to this and there is an eternal reality to this. So the present reality to each will have to bear his own load is for a group to function appropriately, we need people who are taking personal responsibility, who are, who are gonna bear their own load. Um, our family went away for a quick vacation the, this past summer, and uh, we went on a hike out in this beautiful mountain area, and one of our kids, I won't say which one, because I told them yesterday, I wouldn't say their name, uh, <laughs> but one of our kids said they really wanted to bring their backpack on this particular 
hike that we were going to do. It was like, that's great. Bring your backpack. We'll throw a bottle of water in there. Well, we get maybe 100 yards down the trail. And I turn around and look back, and said kid with backpack is loading down their backpack with rocks that they really want to take home from the vacation because this particular rock is going to make them so happy in life and it'll look great in in their bedroom. And so they're adding rocks into their their bag and the hike is taking forever and a day because we have to stop all the time and pick up rocks and we make it a little further and they're adding more rocks to the backpack. And then, spoiler alert, shocking breaking news for you, another 100 yards down the trail, guess what happens? Oh, I'm so tired. I don't think I can carry this bag any longer. Like, could you carry the bag for me? No, you brought the bag. You loaded it down with the rocks. You have a personal responsibility. I'll carry some of the rocks, but if you want to take some of these rocks, maybe we could re- leave these rocks for, I don't know, other people that come down the trail <laughs> to also enjoy, enjoy the rocks. There's this balance between bear one another's burdens, but if you're going to purposely load yourself down, with burdens, maybe you also bear some responsibility as well to carry some of that load. We're always trying to juggle how how that works itself out. Here's the future reality though. Each will bear his own load. What this verse is really pressing at is that you can have people around you who can reach out to you in times of sin and you can have people around you who seek to make your load lighter. But hear me out. No one else can stand in your place before the Lord. And there is a load and a weight and a burden where only you will stand before the Lord. And so if you're depending on your family's faith, or you're depending on a friend's goodwill, or you're depending on somebody, nobody else can do that for you. That every one of us will stand before the Lord And our only hope at that moment is in Jesus Christ. Because who has bore our burden? Jesus has. The burden of sin, the burden of our past, the burden of our fears, the burden of death. He took all of that on himself. And so each of us will have to bear that burden. And we can't do it by ourselves. It will only come through Jesus So how does a spirit-empowered church work? Two realities. Mutual care for one another and personal responsibility before the Lord. That is how a spirit-empowered church works. Mutual care for one another, bearing one another's burdens, and personal responsibility before the Lord, understanding what it means to carry our own burden. So let's unpack that for just a couple of minutes and and this will drive us toward the, the conclusion. How to show mutual care for one another. If there's anything we're going to get good at as a church, this is what we want to get good at as a church, is how do we do a good job caring for one another? In fact, I think this is a strong suit of Emmaus. There's probably areas, pockets we could get better in, and we want to continue to grow, but this is an area that deserves our attention as a church family. How do you show mutual care for someone? Well, number one, you have to know the person and know the sin or burden that that they're facing. In other words, if you see a person caught in sin, you don't just run over as a random person and say, hey, you're caught in sin, I'm coming to help you. Like there's, there's a relationship that needs to be in place to help that conversation go well because 
People are going to be defensive. They're not going to want to be helped. They're not going to trust you. Huge trust issues. If someone is going to allow you to speak into their life about something that they're facing behind the scenes, they have to trust you, right? Or otherwise, they're never going to open up about what's going on. So do I really know the person? Do I care for them? And do I know the situation? Because on the surface, we can see a person who's hurting, and you know life is not going well, and you think it's this issue on the surface, but then you find out the bigger issue is below the surface, right? The bigger issue is behind closed doors. The bigger issue is coming from 30 years ago. And so you thought we were dealing with this, when in reality the core issue is somewhere deeper. It's somewhere, somewhere way back there. So get to know the person. Ask those hard questions. Come in with a spirit of gentleness and humility This is the spirit that says, I know what God and others have done for me. I want to be able to do this for them. And then when you begin to have those conversations, you speak the truth in love. Nobody is helped when we run around the truth, but nobody is helped when we're harsh with the truth either. So we are called as God's people to consistently speak the truth in love to one another. There's no greater gift than to have somebody in your life who will come to you and speak the truth in love, especially when we are blinded to our own struggles and we're blinded to our own challenges. So I pray with and for the person. I share the gospel with them, not because I think they're lost, but because every one of us needs to be reminded of the good news of the gospel. We point them to key scriptures. If you don't have this, let me encourage you to get it, or I will try to find a way to email an example of this to our church family this week. I'll I'll try to make that commitment this week. Have in your Bible, or in a note on your phone, I've got a note on my phone, I have something I usually keep, hard copy, verses that correspond to different challenges that people might be facing. So that when you need a verse of scripture to say, hey, I I was thinking about you today, I wanted to send you the scripture as an encouragement and a challenge about God's work in your life, and you can send it to them. You've got it ready to go. Someone asks you about something they're facing, and you have a verse of scripture, hey, I want, I want to give this to you. I want us to look at this verse together. So you're sharing the gospel. You're pointing them to key scriptures. You're following up. Bearing somebody's burden is not signing up for a one-hour conversation, is it? <laughs> Bearing someone's burden is signing up usually for weeks, months, years of continuing to love and gently care for that person, providing tools and next steps for the person to take, involving others when and how appropriate. Matthew 18 says when you go to someone caught in sin, you want to go personally to them first. You're not going to go talk about it on Facebook. You're not going to go spread the news to your friend. You go to them individually, and then you involve other people. Sometimes you're trying to care for somebody, a burden or a sin that they're facing, and you get into the conversation, and you realize really quickly, oh my word, this is way above my pay grade. Like, I have no idea what to say. I don't know what to do at this point. I don't know how to respond to this situation. That's why God gives us the gift of the body of Christ. He puts people around us that we're able to turn to and say, hey, we want you to be able to come and have this conversation. I know somebody you could talk to, somebody who's been through what you're going through. Man, isn't that helpful? So you, you, you're dealing with somebody, they're going through a hard situation in life, and you know someone who's been through that situation as well, and you can put them together because they're gonna be able to care for one another in a way better uh, manner than probably you are in that situation. So we involve others when and how appropriate. Okay, let's flip the coin over real quick and look at the personal 
responsibility side. So that's a mutual care. If you see a church member caught in sin or under burdens, we reach out. Personal responsibility. Number one, consider your eternal standing before God. It must begin there. It's not my parents' faith. It's not my siblings' faith. It's not the church members' faith. It's what is my standing before the Lord? How will I come before the Lord? And if we can just cut to the chase, our only hope of standing before God in eternity is because of what Jesus has done for us. That is it. That is it. And so we turn to him in faith and say, Jesus, only you can take care of my sin. Only you can take care of my death. I trust you. That personal responsibility for our relationship with God. Number two, assess your life by the fruit of the Spirit, not by comparison with others. <laughs> if you want to know, how am I doing in my spiritual growth? Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Not how you compare to your neighbor who attends church twice a year. That's not what we're using as how are we doing spiritually. What's our assessment? Number three, look in the mirror before blaming others for your lack of spiritual growth. The church isn't deep enough. The teaching's not long enough. Nobody's checked on me. You know, if we're not careful, we can start to grumble a little bit or we blame other people for our lack of spiritual growth. Nobody fed me. Nobody, you know, we, we see the tension there, right? We want to care for one another. I want to do a good job teaching the word of God. We want to have people who are around you. But at the same time, we can take a little personal responsibility for our spiritual growth. What am I doing? What steps am I taking to grow spiritually? And then number four, get equipped and become spiritually fruitful in order to serve others well. One of the reasons we're going to start 2021 by studying the fruit of the Spirit is because if those realities take root in our lives and in our church, it's not just for us individually. It permeates the whole body. Because now it's not just that I'm growing in love, joy, and peace. It's I'm able to share that love, joy, and peace with people around me. Get equipped. This is what we are called to do as a church family in Ephesians 4, that we are equipping the saints for the work of ministry, that we would do a good job. And this is self-assessment time for staff. If I can just kind of put myself on the line here. We have to look at ourselves as church leaders and say, are we doing a good job equipping people to serve and care for one another? And that's a hard question because we probably don't get a very high grade in that regard. We have to take a close look of what are we doing to equip people to serve one another, to minister to one another when people are facing burdens. How do we respond in that way? Let me give you some closing questions. We're gonna wrap up with this. Key questions. Do I define spiritual success by how I'm doing or how those around me are doing? Do I define spiritual success just by how I'm doing or am I looking at my family, my friends, my Sunday school class, the people who sit around me in the worship service? What does that look like? Number two, this week, whom will I text or call simply to encourage them spiritually? What does God call me to do to reach out to people around me, to bear their burdens, to help mend them if they're caught in sin? What does that look like? And let me just make one other caveat. It's not just people in your Sunday school class. Where you sit in the worship gathering, people you connect with online that you know on social media, social media, uh, 
as you well know, there's a lot of discouraging news on there. There's a lot of chaos on there. What does it look like when you use that to encourage another person spiritually, to build up people when everybody else is being torn down, that we would do that well as a church? And then finally, with whom, maybe other than an immediate family member, with whom could I share my struggles if I was fighting temptation or facing a difficult situation? With whom could I share my struggles if I was fighting temptation or facing a difficult situation? Let me say this to you that are watching at home and those of you in the room. Please, 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 do not live in such a way that you feel like you are having to hide behind closed doors or you have these things buried deep within that you don't want anybody to know about. God calls us to come into the light because there we find healing and hope to continue in the gospel. So I wanna pray for you about that this morning. Don't leave this room without coming up here to the front at the end and asking for prayer or talking to someone. We wanna be available to you in however we can. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Let me pray for us and we're gonna wrap up. Father, when we think about what it means to be a spirit-empowered church, God, we know that the opposite of that is pride. The opposite of that is constantly provoking or envying one another. God, a spirit-empowered church serves one another. And God, I pray that people would not come and be a part of Emmaus without being connected to a group of people who love them, who care for them. God, that if we are caught in sin, we know that we're not gonna be there very long before someone responds and comes to us. God, if we are carrying a heavy weight, that we're not gonna carry that very long before someone comes up beside us and says, hey, let me help you with that. I care for you, I love you. God, there are burdens in this life that we were never meant to carry alone. And we can cast those on you because you care for us and you give us people around us who love us and care for us. And Father, at the same time, I pray that every one of us would think about our own personal responsibility. God, that we would grow spiritually so we could help other people. God, that we would grow spiritually so that you would use us to share the gospel and to live that out on a daily basis. And God, thank you for the gift of a church that seeks to do this on a weekly basis, daily basis. And God, finally, I pray for anybody here who maybe, maybe is very uncertain about being connected to church or it's been a long time since they've been a part of a church gathering and there's a lot of hurt there. God, I pray that by your spirit that you would bring healing and hope to their lives. And Father, thank you for the gift of your word, for the gift of prayer, for the gift of praise. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. 